I didn't swear the church off. No, I felt like an outcast. I felt like I was going to hell. I felt like I was the pariah of the world. And I went off the deep end, dude. I went from a pastor to we left. I created a real estate investing company. Oh, really? I cheated on my wife and I went and fucked 200 women to cleanse my soul of all that crazy Christianity. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chapel, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way, anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself and subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. Today, I'm making friends with Keith Yaki and Jesse Marquez. Keith is known as the realest guy in real estate. In this episode, we have a raw and real conversation about his wild life from his tumultuous life as a pastor to living the ultimate bachelor life in Vegas, having sex with over 200 women to crushing it in real estate and then getting back together with his girl, Jesse, and within two years doing real estate, he flipped over 185 properties, has grown to over 700 deals, owned 300 rentals, and raised over $45 million in private money. He's been asked to speak on the biggest stages with the biggest names, ranging from Pitbull to Tony Robbins and Gary Vee, Russell Brunson, Lewis Howes, and many, many others. People want to hear his inspirational story going from a carpenter banging nails to successful real estate investor banging out deals. Wherever you want to level up in life, Keith is here to help. And I'm really excited to bring on his girl, Jesse in this episode as well, because the biggest thing that Keith and Jesse are working on right now is The Married Game, which is a podcast and educational company all about helping men become better versions of themselves within the context of their marriage. And this is what really drove the, the biggest portion of our conversation. Fascinating story between him and Jesse getting together and then splitting up and then him kind of realizing, even though he was living this really cool life that most people would be envious about, that he was really missing something and it was her. And there was a lot of things in his life that he needed to fix before he could go win her back and bring her back in his life. And now they help other marriages do the same thing and, and help the men in those marriages turn into the ultimate versions of themselves so that they can be uh, the best husband that they can be. So a really, really fascinating, really interesting conversation. I uh, really went all over the place in a bunch of different places that I did not expect it to go. But I really think that you're going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode with the hosts of the Married Game podcast. Keith Yaki and Jesse Marquez. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am super excited to be down here in Laguna area, the Southern California, beautiful Southern California, with Keith Yaki and beautiful Jesse. Thank you guys so much for having me in the man cave where you guys film Married Game. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's cool to have you interviewing us in our man cave. So this is a, this is a unique and fun experience, and we're honored to have you, man. It's an exclusive. Very exclusive. exclusive. You're the yeah. first. You're the first and the there only so far. So far. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see if we can remedy that for you guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it, dude. Okay, so I love getting into the weeds, getting to some super practical things, and we'll obviously talk about the married game and all that stuff. But in order to find some of those things relevant, I think that it's really important for us to kind of rewind the clock and give some context before we jump in. So let's start with Keith. Tell me about, um, you know, 11-year-old, 12-year-old Keith Yaki. Rewind the clock. Tell us, set the scene. What yeah. life was life for you growing up? I come from a family that had some money until we were about eight. Seven or eight years old, my dad lost all his money. So we went from living next to a lot of the California Angel, like Rod Carew, Tommy John, 
these types of players. And I went to school with those kids. And then when my dad lost all his money, we literally moved to an apartment on the tracks. And my, like literally my bedroom was their walk-in closet, which was half the size of that bathroom in there. So like the shift in identity radically shifted. All I thought about was sports. I was really good at sports, but that was a transition where I kind of went from knowing I was a winner and like I started to slip and start thinking, well, maybe I'm a loser. So it was actually a really, really pivotal time in my life where my, hey, this is the best kid in our league in soccer to maybe not. It really fucked with my identity, actually, man. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And this was down the, down the street from here. Yeah, we, it, we, I grew up in Southern California, so yeah, not very far. And 12 years old is right when I discovered bodyboarding and started riding waves a lot. So as my, my ability to play sports, my confidence was waning, my ability to ride waves was getting growing. What did your dad do? Like, what was the, what was the cause for the major shift in status? Oh, just real estate deal gone bad. Maybe put all, you know, he says put all his eggs in one basket type thing. But he was in real estate then? Yeah. Okay. Agency side or investor? He was on the investor side. His best friend was like really, really sharp. And his best friend, like, I want to go get this building. Go go find me this. So my dad would go find it, bring it to him, be a little part of the deal, that type of thing. Okay. So very entrepreneurial type household. My dad, for sure. My mom was a nurse. Oh, really? Okay. And a little bit of stability there then. Yeah. So there was the stability was with my mom working and, uh, and my dad would either have his boom or bust. And, but my mom was constantly making money. But when we do, but of her, her salary, we lived in an apartment. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah especially in Southern California. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jesse, same question. Uh, let's go, you know, nine, 10 years old, set the scene for us. I grew up in lower middle class, way more inland than him. My dad plays guitar for a living. So I grew up a little, um, more wild and free, but um, we didn't have a lot of money. So my mom was a manager at like uh, Coco's or Caro's or something like that. And so we had our money from her because he would just go in and out and not make a lot of money. So I didn't grow up very affluent. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. But a little more wild. <laughs> Your dad was like an 80s rock band that <laughs> yeah. toured with Motley Crue. Okay, so I was like, going to say. It was. Yeah. Renegade, More the free. band Renegade. Okay. So they had awesome. some songs, like people over the age, like, oh, I remember that band. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you have siblings? I have an older sister and a younger brother who just recently passed. Oh, no way. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to hear that. Thank you. Were they very similar in regards to, you, you said, because you said, you know, I grew up a little bit more wild, yeah. we didn't have as much money. Was that like a personality thing or you think that was a context and culture thing where you're siblings the same way? No, they're, they're the same way okay. and or worse. <laughs> so they, you know, they ran with the wild thing. I see. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Was there an emphasis for you guys in the traditional path because of how kind of wild your dad's career had been? Or was it very much like, I enjoyed this, go do whatever you want to do? Yeah, they're very encouraging and open mind thinking and positive thinking on what we do. And they... They love it. They're very encouraging. They're just, as long as I'm happy or think for yourself. Think for yourself. Okay. So did you go the traditional path at all in terms of like, I got to study, get good grades, go to no. college and okay. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we're getting some laughs here. So yeah. what, yeah. what happened? No, I just, um, I would say I'm the more reserved one in my family and I'm still pretty, you know, like I like to have fun. I like to go out. Yeah. But you didn't go the college. No, right? not that's traditional. Like, did I you know. go to college? Try and not go through, at like, all. Fuck no, that. actually. Was it even a thought? No. Okay. No. So you didn't, in school, academics was not a priority. No. Okay. Very much like, I just want to go out, have fun. Yeah. Don't, don't tell me what to do. I like to have fun. So I, I did go to cosmetology school, but I didn't end up doing that. So that was something more like free I can do. I did just, I want to be a mom. 
or singers. So I chose the mom route. When we met, I was actually a waitress. So I was still just figuring out what I wanted to do. How old were you when you guys met? 25. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And he had three children. So I became a mom pretty instantly. No kidding. Uh-huh. And then that, so I helped raise that. And then here we are and then doing this together. So I never like found that passion and to do like whatever, but finding the passion now and what we do. Yeah. I really love it. And I'm really fulfilled with that. But also I, to be a mom for me was, is my number one priority. Okay. So back to you, Keith. Same question in terms of traditional path, non-traditional path. Did your parents push you to go a certain direction? Did you Not end up? at all. I became born again, like at 15 years old. So I started a Bible study on my high school campus. I mean, I was all, I wanted to be a pastor. And by the time I graduated high school, I hardly tried and I got straight A's. Like school was like a piece of See how opposite we are? Yeah, yeah no like kidding. So opposite, yeah. Right? No kidding. That we so, are, we're like, how are we together? Like, how do we find each other? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it, dude, I was like, school's easy. This is for dumb people. Like I can go straight A's, like literally not even trying. So, but my entrepreneurial bug was like very early on. Okay. And when I was 12 years old, I was working the baseball card, mowing lawns. Yeah. Set, I had a newspaper route. I just literally turned to my neighborhood from when I was 12 and I'm 43 now. So that, whatever that is. 31. Is that 31 years? Jesus Christ. Oh my Lord. <laughs> um, dude. And the guy who used to live there, he go, I said, Hey, how you doing? He goes, you're the kid that delivered our paper. Oh, and I go, no yeah, well, I am. He goes, wow. How are I, well, I said, yeah, this is my daughter. And I was always entrepreneurial, super driven. I was buying beat up BMX bikes, fixing them up and selling them. I was buying iguanas, breeding them and selling them. Like, so it was always this thing. And then I got really, really, really into surfing. Like it was like everything sponsored. I'm going to become professional. This is what I want to do. And bodyboarding specifically. And that's why Garrett was making fun of that. And then I got born again. I'm like, all I want to do is be a pastor. And so at 18, I literally, as soon as I graduated, I... I got engaged to a gal. We moved to Montana to start a church. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. And I worked construction up there. And all I cared about was building a church. Nothing else mattered, but we're building this church. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So that was the path I Not went. Non-denominational? Yeah, Calvary Chapel. Okay. Have you, have you heard of those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, like Chuck Smith, John Corson, Bob Coy, the whole crew. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, we're, we're saving the world, dude. Everyone's going totally. to hell, but good thing we're here. We're going to help them. <laughs> good thing I mean, we're here. dude, that, I was causing hell. That's yeah, yeah, you, you were raising hell <laughs> yeah. and causing <laughs> guys to go to hell. And that was it. That was the mentality. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like, a, once I'm into something, I'm all in totally. it. Totally. Yeah. Whatever my dad did, whatever my mom did, it didn't matter. I, they were not going to set my destiny. In fact, I was going to stand on their shoulders and be do way greater things. That was always in my mind. Were your parents religious at all? Yeah, they would say they were born again. Okay. For sure. Okay. Yeah. But they weren't, they definitely weren't like pushing you a certain right. Like you just went to Bible study, caught the fire. And yeah. I know I wanted to get a job at a skateboard shop at 15 years old. And the guy's like, uh, hey, do you want to come to Bible study? I'm like, well, I bet you if I go to Bible study with this dude, he'll probably hire me. And I went to the Bible study and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to hell. They, we, it was like this Bible study around a fire. I'm like, I didn't even know that story. Yeah. yeah. And, and Aaron, Aaron was yeah. part of it. Oh yeah. Aaron, who we love is our guy. Yeah. So literally I was like, well, dude, if, if I go to this Bible study, but I went to the Bible study and because I grew up growing, I went to Christian school my whole life. Mm. So I thought for sure, if I didn't say my prayers tonight, I'm dying. I'm going to hell. Yep. My mom convinced me if I stuck my penis in any girl at any point before I was married, I was straight road to hell. Yeah. The religious conditioning that my brain grew up in was crazy. Yeah. So as soon as I'm sitting around a campfire and the guy's like, dude, you've sinned, you're going to hell. I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. I need to figure, I need to figure <laughs> that, that out, fix that right now. 
So I went to try and get a job, but I went and I got saved. Yeah, right. Yeah, dude. So it was, it was radical. Moved to Montana. Never been there. Grew up here. Moved to Montana. Crazy. Started this church in a town of 4,000. Grew it to a couple hundred people, maybe 300 at its max. Yeah. The, the senior pastor leaves to go become a missionary in Africa, and I take over the church. Dang. <laughs> yeah. So you're how old at this time? 23. Married? With three kids. Wow. Dude. Tell me about it. 23. I've got a 24, 22, and, and a 19. And now you're the head pastor. I'm a head pastor with a popped yeah. collar, cargo pants, and flip flops. <laughs> in I Montana. Just see the pictures. Oh my God. In I don't even recognize him. But dude, what was so great about that? And I make fun of it. I don't really make fun of it. I look back now and go, well, dude, I don't even go to church. I, you couldn't get me to go to church if you wanted me to. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you paid me to, like, not enough money. No, not interested. Yeah. But I learned so much about leadership, mm. how to lead people. And I, I'm not totally. saying I was good. There's people that didn't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually that Bible right behind you. See that little book that says stuff? And then you see like the leather-bound Bible. Yeah, that's yeah. Right that was the one I used to preach from. I still read it every once in a while. Really? But I learned about leadership. I learned that, dude, you don't actually have to be qualified to do something. You can qualify yourself, step into it, and start learning as you go. That proved to those skills I learned as a pastor is literally what has built everything I've built. Yeah, it's really interesting you say that because I don't know if you guys know anything about my background, but very fundamentalist Baptist is, okay. is how I grew up. So. Graduated kindergarten on the same campus I graduated college from, which is also where I went to church. So it was, I mean, my entire life, from seven life days a week. System. Right, exactly, exactly. From three years old to 21, I was at this one 40-acre compound. What was it called? Uh, Lancaster Baptist Church. Okay. It was the name of the church. Yeah. Makes sense. In Lancaster <laughs> Baptist Church. They were very on on the nose. Yeah. How yeah. bored were you at that time? I was not bored. I, I was very much same way as Keith in, in the sense that like, I, I was not like the bad kid. I wasn't the rebel. I was the one that was bought it because I'm very much the same way. I'm all in on whatever I'm doing. So I was that way. So the college is on the campus is purely ministerial college. I have a, my, my degree, my bachelor's degrees in Bible and church ministries and double major, which is already pretty useless, but it happened to be unaccredited. So it was like, yeah. now it's actually completely useless, you know, but that was, that was what I was going to do. And so very, very similar in the sense that when I was in that world, like that was what I lived and breathed and yeah. everything that I did was for it was that so reason. Important. Church history was yeah. so important. I mean, everything was so important. Right. But, I, but that's what I tell people now is when they ask about it, it's like, yeah, my degree is useless. Yeah, I think most of my college experience was a complete waste of time and I would have rather been using that time to get ahead entrepreneurially or at least have some memories, you know what I mean, yeah. of that time period. It's like my memories were literally driving down to Newport Beach from Lancaster to intern at a church on the weekends for my junior year of college. Like yeah. that was what we did. That was crazy. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Um, wow. Was good to bed early so that we could get up and go to church early and serve all day on yeah. Saturday and Sunday at the church. Dude, you but, and I, same, same story. Yeah. But the biggest thing though, is kind of what you're saying is I was speaking in front of people when I was 12 years old, you know, like I started in preaching camps and going to these, you know, they sermon after sermon after sermon and our church got pretty big. By the time I left, there was seven, 8,000 members there. I spoke in front of the church when I was 15 to like 2,500 people. We did acting, we did, you know, classes and teaching and singing and everything was like up in front of people all the time. And so, you know, I look at it as like, yeah, my degree's useless. But also I spoke in front of people hundreds of times before I was even in college. So you take little pieces of that. And like you said, the leadership that you see or um, some of the greatest orders that are alive today are within the church in the context of the church. And so learning how to speak and looking at, looking at it now, it's so like, obviously just this big marketing funnel. Yeah, you know what I mean? For sure. Especially even the place where I, where I grew up because they just have like 
you come in through this thing and then you get indoctrinated here. And then we have this upsell and this upsell and this upsell and this upsell, you know? And so it's so obvious to see it from there. But like you said, there's a lot of really great lessons to take away from it. So many skills that you use now. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Were birth, born and built in that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious how it ended. What happened to pull you out of it? My wife got a boob job. Not that way. Yeah. My, my <laughs> wife at the time. I had another wife. I, While you were in ministry. Yeah, I was a pastor. I mean, that's a, that's a no-no, right? Well, in Montana. <laughs> apparently. In <laughs> Montana, they care a lot about plastic boobs up there, apparently. Huh. The, fa- the funniest thing was that it was the fattest ladies in the church that complained about her getting a boob job. Uh, of course. And uh, I have a video way back. It says, basically, God bless you and go fuck yourself, Tracy. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And it was, it's really, it's a, it's a funny story, but like I had this wife and dude, she was doing the best she could. Like I, I yeah. should have never married her. Like it, it should have never happened, but I yeah. thought she's going to be a great pastor's wife. So I married her based on the optimization of she's going to be a great pastor's wife. Right. Doesn't matter if you're attracted to her. doesn't matter if your IQs are anywhere remotely. None close. of that doesn't matters matter. when you're trying to save the world from hell. You're trying to save the world from hell. Yeah. And, uh, didn't matter. So we go, we have three kids. We're super young. And she goes, I've had three kids. They've literally drained these boobies. I want to get it. Like, I want to get a boob job. I'm like, high five, go get it. Well, the people in the church had a real big issue. And of course, the 400 pound troll named Tracy, and she's this super famous, like, uh, Christian romance. Dude, you would be shocked at how unattractive romance writers are. Like, there's nobody, there's not one guy on planet Earth that looks and goes. That's why. Why no, but yeah. They're living out the fantasies on the pages. There's not a guy on planet Earth that would look at Tracy and go, I want to fuck her. Mm. None. (laughs) But she writes the most crazy Christian, like whatever, like God bless her. I don't give a fuck. She caused a big stir. And they sat me and my wife down in the associate pastor's thing. And they were like, well, you could have came to us. You don't need those. And I'm like, hey, hey, first of all, hey. If there was a machine that got your boobs better or bigger, you would all be on it yeah. because I see you guys all in the butt machines at the gym. Yeah. So I don't think Jesus cares about if your boobs are plastic or not. Yeah. But I've heard enough. I don't even want to be around you guys. I turned to the associate pastor. I said, this is yours. You can have it. I don't even want to be here anymore. Wow. And I, my mind was already, I'm like, this is some small minded bullshit. Like these are, these people are like, my, I realize their brain, I'm like, oh, they don't see that. They don't see life. Right, exactly. They see this bubble. Exactly. And there's something so much bigger than, oh, dude, I've outgrown this place. These are some small-minded people. Yeah. I will not let small-minded people lead me. Dude, isn't it amazing? It's amazing how that can happen. You get around these people who are full-grown adults. Yeah. You know, in their 40s and their 50s. They have kids. They have lives. And it's like, you're still concerning yourself with issues like this? Like you're, you're, you're acting like a 13 year old kid in, in, in middle school. Dude, it's mind blowing. Like there's nothing else. There's nothing better for you to be thinking about or doing or like anything, nothing like, except for putting your nose in my business. Like this doesn't make any sense. Dude, that was almost 18 years ago. Wow. Did you, did you at that point swore off the whole religion or just that church? I've, I've circled back with some of them or just run into them like 18 years later and they're still talking about the same shit. And I was like, oh, dude, you guys don't even know the world has moved on. Like, and they are convinced and convicted that totally. I, I am like for sure the chief sinner going to hell. Yep. I'm like, dude, you guys have no idea. I'm God's favorite. Dude. <laughs> I, my, my creator loves me way more than he loves your judgmental. Cool. And I believe it actually. 
Well, the so, Bible says it. Even if you're gonna, even if you're going to use the Bible, if you're not going to use the Bible, whatever. But if you're going to use the Bible, like pretty clear, Jesus hung out with the publicans and the sinners, yeah. and the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees are the ones pointing the finger at Jesus the whole time. And it's like there's an entire chapter where Jesus just rants yeah. on the Pharisees, being like, "Hey, yeah. you guys are so stuck judging other people that you're not like meeting people where they are and actually caring about helping them yeah. because they didn't follow the checklist." Like it's to me, it's it's not even like an opinion. It's clearly obvious in the book that you read more than anybody. <laughs> the American Christian Church is is lost touch with any sense of reality, in my opinion. So did I swear it off? No, I didn't. Dude, you can't shake that religious belief like that. It took me years to try and cleanse myself of that conditioning. And I talk about my creator now and how I take a bunch of gummies and sit with my creator every week religiously for 37 months. I've never missed that meeting. It makes him so mad that I talk about how I talk with my creator. Like it, it drives him crazy. Like, but that's not what the Bible says. I go, well, fuck your Bible, dude. When was that thing written? Hey, by the way, when man was dropped on earth, he didn't read. He didn't read. That was something we came up with. So you're telling me that something we came up with is the only, like, get the fuck out of here. You're so crazy. That's what I believe. I didn't swear the church off. No, I felt like an outcast. I felt like I was going to hell. I felt like I was the pariah of the world. And I went off the deep end, dude. I went from a pastor to, we left. I created a real estate investing company. Oh, really? I cheated on my wife and I went and fucked 200 women to cleanse my soul of all that crazy Christianity. That was it. What, what was the time frame? from like leaving until? I left when I was 26, maybe. And I was divorced by the time I was 28. And from 28 till 35, 33, 32-ish, about a four or five year span, I went hog wild, had some dough, started to understand myself. And in Vegas, I was just, I was hitting all the, the highness. All the spots. <laughs> <laughs> I was in all the highness. Yeah. No, I was, I was just discovering who I was. Sure. You sure. know what I mean? And dude, but mind, mind you, divorcing and cheating on my wife at that time devastated my family. Devastated me. But I was 28 years old realizing, oh my God, I cannot believe I married a woman that I literally have nothing in common with. Still to this day have literally nothing in common with yeah. this lady. Like just best of luck to her and everything she does. I have nothing in common with her. And so I started making money and I started, bro, I was so down and out on myself that I took a job at Apple One, temp agency, hoping to get, make 15 bucks an hour. And people have heard that story like, dude, you used to work for Apple? I'm like, no, 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 Apple One. It was a temp agency hoping to get a job, not knowing that I already had all the skills to build multi-million dollar businesses. Not no, I, I had no clue who I was, dude. Lost, truly lost. Yeah, yeah, trying to find it in a bunch of other and places. And I met this lady. Yeah, you met her in the middle of that ex I, ex uh, discovery process, yeah. um, you would say? Yes. Well, yeah, I mean, I had been around and really understood that thing right there, the elements of attraction. Like, I, that's my, that was my 2012 edition. That was us together. We we got together, 11-11-11, yeah. which is why that date up there is important, was our very first date. It's the most important date to us. That was Elements of Attraction was Gods of Dating was like, I'm going to show guys how to actually pick up women without being a douchebag. No so way. I created a whole seminar thing about it. That's we did hilarious. not, we were not successful with it. I may okay. have sold 20 books and three of those things. Okay. But it was running into her where I was like, oh, wait a second. 
I was not looking to get married again. Mm. This was not on the agenda. I was yeah, having yeah. too much fun. And I met this Billy. I was like, oh, dude, you're, oh, my God. Like, our, our first date, <laughs> she came out at 11, 11. By 11, 19, we were on a plane to Boston to go watch Monday Night Football, New England Patriots for my birthday. And we had three or four days in there. And, dude. And you were planning on asking me to be your girlfriend. Yeah, because I was talking to my buddy yeah. at the time. I'm like, I, I said, I, I actually like this one. He goes, really? <laughs> no. I'm like, no, 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 no. Dude, I, I actually like this one. He goes, my bro. I like it. We got so drunk at that Monday night football game. It was so cold. We, so we tried to prepare. We couldn't prepare. We're drinking margaritas just to get some alcohol on us. We end up closing the bar, bar down with Mike Tirico and John Grudem. No way. Eating flatbread in Boston. In Boston, in the bar at the hotel. Only where we together. Oh, we barely a week together. We didn't have a hotel. We were going to try and stay there. It's a really expensive hotel, Peabody or something like yeah. that. And it's right there. The where are the New England Patriots? They don't play in Boston. They play like forty five minutes outside of Boston. Oh, okay. I can't remember the name of the city. Okay. But it's at Gillette Stadium there, Foxborough. Okay. And there's one hotel there. And I'm like, can I pay you tent? They're like, there's no rooms, bro. It was a whole shit show. It was a whole shit show. So I'm drunk. She's there. We're talking. We're laying in the lobby, like one like a lounge chair or whatever. <laughs> After we'd close the bar down with the two announcers of Monday Night Football. Right, right. And I go like this. Do you remember, remember what I said? I said, uh, I go, um, hey, I didn't really want a girlfriend, but if I was to have a girlfriend, I would want her to be exactly like you. Would you like to be my girlfriend? And what was your response? Are you just asking me because you're drunk? Yeah. I, no, you, you go, you're <laughs> drunk. I go, yeah. I am, but I'm yes, serious. But also. <laughs> I'm serious. And she goes, yes. I didn't want a boyfriend either. Yeah. I was supposed to be your one night stand. Yeah. Oh, really? So I had I had a boyfriend when I met him, and then I was I knew I was exiting that, and so I had to figure out. So that was like a month later, or two before eleven, eleven, eleven. He would come in as a customer gotcha, gotcha. at Hooters, and so I started to get to know him. Was that here in Ontario? Yeah. In Ontario, in no Rancho, way. Yeah. <laughs> and then I um, so I didn't want a boyfriend, and so I had just broke up with him, and then so I was like on my own a little bit, and then I was like, oh, man, I want a one night stand. I never had one. I know who to call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so my he guy. came in and I saw him. And I was like, yeah, hey, do you, like, you want to hang out? Or like, what's your number or something? So then we hung out 11, 11, 11. Hung out the day after and the day after that. And then the week later, he asked me to be with girlfriend. And I'm so like, much right. for a one night stand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Sex. <laughs> yeah. Fruit sex for you. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. That was the story. That's how we came together. And that's how we became my girlfriend. And then two, day, uh, two years later, I said, hey, this isn't working out. You got to scram. And I broke up with her and she left. Just randomly. Yeah. yeah. And I realized I made a big mistake and we got back together. And then three and a half years later, she's like, hey, guess what? You're a piece of shit. You're a piece of shit, dude. Hey, she goes, yeah. she's like, you run your business. You come home and talk about your business and you fall asleep on the couch. We're not good. We had a two-year-old daughter at that time. Mm. This was five and a half years ago. And she's like, I'm out of here. We loaded up her U-Haul and everything I loved and held dear was driving down that driveway. Mm. Gone. She moved. We were in Vegas at the time. She moved to California because her whole family was out here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I realized I fucked up, dude. That's when the light switch went like on. Instantly. It, it, the, it was as if I was in a dark room, and I'm like, "Who's been shitting in this room?" <laughs> that's what it felt like, right? <laughs> Who's been shitting in this room? And then the light switch went on. It's like that's all your shit, Keith. You're the only one that's been here. It's like, yeah. oh, this is my problem. Mm. That's when I realized. This is my problem. It's on me. 
and it's still the core tenet of what we teach at Married Game is you are the, if you are the problem, that means you are the solution. And so you got to own that you're the problem and really like reflect. And that's a hard thing for guys to do. That was hard for me. But then I realized, wait a second, I pushed the greatest human being I've ever met out of my life. What a douchebag I am. I mean, it, dude, it was very clear. It was my problem. Yeah. And when guys say they're like, oh, but you were this. You No, 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 no. I wasn't showing up. I was more lonely with you than without you. Yeah. And I was such a bad dad. She's like, literally, you're he didn't such a watch her. He didn't do anything. So I, I like, you're such a bad dad. I don't even want to have a second kid yep. with you. We were the back of the pack couple. They're like, I don't know if those fuckers are going to make it. <laughs> well, we didn't. Yeah. So to, to, if you would have told us five and a half years ago when she left, oh, your guys are going to lead a movement that's actually going to heal marriages in a way that nobody else understands, or, or it becomes very, very clear once you talk about it, we would have been like, that's really funny. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. But what's funny about that is when we were broken up and we had to get Jovi back and forth, you know, I went, I started seeing someone else, but I was like, man, just, you know, it's not him. And even though he was so awful, you know, he, there's something special about him. So, and then you started becoming the person that I wanted you to become when we weren't together. So it was frustrating. I'm like, I knew that was Fuck in you. This guy, yeah, dude. it made me mad. But so when I was dropping off Jovi and we were just talking as friends, like as we started. And so I said something like, oh, it'd be funny if we ever got back together. We'd write a book like the grass isn't always greener. No, you That's said. That's what uh, I said. Yeah, you. but you said, no, 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 no. Here's the exact okay. quote. I remember it because I hired three coaches and I figure out how to get her back. 
Oh, really? Wow. Dude, I did everything wrong. As soon as she leaves, oh dude, God, I yeah. put a PowerPoint presentation together. I'm recording songs. He, he called me crying. I was like, ugh. Dude, it, all the awful. stuff that pushes them away, like, they're like she's like, I'm glad I'm out of here. Yeah. I did all of it. I hired these three. I watched every YouTube video on how to get your ex back four or five times. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm not doing this right. I hired three different coaches. How do I get her back? And when it all boiled down to it, here's what I realized. And the fact that we've actually walked 75 guys back, we, we help married guys now, but we help a lot of guys get their exes back too. And um, when it all boiled down to this, is what I realized. If I, if I want to move on, I got to move on. If I want her back, I've got to move on. And being a football player growing up, I was like, wait a second, we got a one-play page book? Or we got a one-page playbook? I just got to move on? Okay, I'll do that. And in doing that, her best friend and her mom kind of liked me. They were starting to see... That they hated you at they first. They hated me at first, but they actually they were seeing the, the real change. And they would bring my daughter back to me. And her mom, they would be the ones traveling back and forth, bringing my daughter to me. And I was having a good time with my daughter. And we were just having a good time. Like finally connected. Yeah. And, and I, was, I, started, I started getting really strategic about what she would see, how she would see it, who I was... And I just realized, listen, I got to move on. It doesn't matter. But she's going to know that at least our kid's dad now is is straight. Like he's on the straight and narrow. And that is when she happened to come by to drop Jovi off with her best friend. And she was still like, you want me to get you some Chipotle? You want me to cook you some meals? Like she was used to kind of taking care of me in that way. And it drove the guy you're with absolutely gosh darn crazy. Like, gosh, why are you still like that guy, right? And she had enough time being in another relationship at that time that was not like this. And Good dude, great dude, yeah. great human being. And she goes this, she goes, I'm not saying this would ever happen. <laughs> but if we ever got back together, I'm going to write a book. Oh, you yeah. said, I'm going to write a book that the grass isn't greener on the other side. Hmm. And that's when I knew I have her. The hooks are set. <laughs> I have her. Yeah. I have her. And I had studied enough at that point that if you leave a relationship, even if she left it and was alone by herself, the next relationship, the chance of that actually working out is like 3%. Hmm. Wow. So the, the failure rate of the rebound is 97%. Wow. And I was like, oh my God. I'll bet on 97% all day long. So this guy is actually going to drive her back to me. And I became cool with it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can totally move on because this thing's not going to last. There's no way. The percentages are too high. Yeah. yeah. And so that's when I was like, I got math on my side. <laughs> I realized it was my problem. Yeah. I'm like, I have to work on me. Shit. And I even told her, I said, congratulations. I'm proud of you for standing up for you. Because we do, we had, we had abundance. Like we had just, we were moving into our dream house and she's mm. like, I'll help you move in, but I'm not staying. I was like, Oh God, this isn't good. We're sitting in this beautiful Vegas home that anybody would want to live in. And uh, she's like, I don't give a shit about any of that. I don't give a shit about any of that. I'm going to go find me. I'm not sticking around with this. Dude, she even said, basically my life would be better without you in it. Could you imagine the two or three closest people, you know, basically say, dude, you're a piece of shit. And my life would be better without you. My business was thriving. I think we did over $2 million that year. Like it wasn't like we were sitting around. It was a big ordeal. And I was like, I messed up. And I told her, I said, it's unfortunate for you that some other lady is going to cash in on all of your hard work. You remember that video? 
but I actually meant it because I'm like, oh, I'll never That's be that true, guy. Because I was like, Jared, you, like, you remember that conversation? Mm-hmm. What was the feeling? I was mad. I'm like, shit, yeah. like all the hard work I You're put right. in, all You're the right. kids and, and whole life that we were creating. I was sad to leave it. I was so clueless, yeah, so. bro. I'm so clueless, man. And she had every right to be mad. But that's where I, I was like, okay, everything is counterintuitive. Attraction is counterintuitive. That's where I really started to realize that. I understood seduction, having slept with a couple hundred women before I met her. But I was like, oh, this short-term attraction and long-term attraction is a totally different game. Yeah. I'm, it's easy to sleep with them for a night, but yeah. to keep them. Warm. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing, and dude, I remember telling you this, I was like, the people that know me the best think I'm a biggest piece of shit. That's actually the truth. Because the people that don't really know me think I'm great actually don't really know me. That's when the light bulb went on and I was like, dude, I got to get this girl back. I got to move on. But man, it would sure be great to get her back. And knowing my, I was going to have my opportunity at one point in time, I was really chill about it. I mean, not so chill, but I was chill. Like I was strategic, but I knew what I had to do. What did that mean practically? In terms like the philosophy is good. I just got to, you know, I got to move on to get her back. What does that mean practically? in terms of the way that you're living your everyday life. I had to stop sending her text about, oh my God, you're so great, I miss you. I had to literally... I started losing weight, going to the gym. I got back in shape. Got a group of friends, started doing things. I started having like... dude, Started being the person you were when you met. Exactly. Instead of the person that you became after you. Yes. Yeah, I was having date night. I'm not date night. I was having game night at my house with like four or five women and four or five dudes. I had a 4th of July party where there was 50 of us and 25 of them were bikini-clad women. And I'm on social media letting the world know, but I know there's a set of eyes watching. And she was having her own 4th of July party that was not going well. And she would text me. It's like, there's a lot of women there. I'm like, oh, almost like, oh, I didn't notice. You know what I mean? I didn't say I didn't notice, but I was just like, yeah, we're just having a good time. You know what I mean? But she knew. Some were my friends. Some of them were her friends, but they were also my friends yeah. too. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Right, right. So I was like, all right, I've got to create the life that I want and become the guy that I want no matter what. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Can't and get that comfort, that that comfortability is where all the relationships go to die. Yeah, man. it's just that most people don't have to, you know, credit you. Most people don't have the courage to leave. Yeah, mm-hmm. when it gets that way. Yep. And then that's the resentment that builds up over two, three decades of being married yeah. to someone that's I'm no longer interesting. When I'm unhappy, and I was telling him and explaining to him, but he didn't hear it. So it had had to have happened where I left him for him to change. Did you realize it before, like at the time when she was saying stuff or did it would just like go straight over your head? Your mind is on your right business. You're thinking about the new investing yes. know, deal or whatever. And when I talk, I can see him like can care less. I'm mm. like, I'm really serious. It's disengaged. And mm-hmm. it, here's how bad it was. She'll tell you right to your face that she talked to me. I don't remember once. He literally forgot Mother's Day. That, that was my whole being of a person at the time, you know, literally forgot Mother's Day. Yeah. That's how bad it was. I was so checked out. But he, I would be like, dude, this is coming out of left field. Right. It's like, bro, bro. He's like, huh? When I was telling him, I'm like, what? How, how, how stupid are you? But the, the amount of men that we talk to now with Married Game and helping them get their ex back and all this, they all say, they're like, bro, this came out of left field. And now that I know, I'm like, oh, oh not buddy. for her. Oh, yeah. buddy. Dude, they, they usually take a year, year to two to plan their exit. Especially if they're financially hooked to a guy. You know what I mean? They're like, okay, what do I got to do? She literally gave up everything. She's like, I don't care. I will go anywhere but mm-hmm. be with you. I mm-hmm. will not live my life in your shadow and become a small version of me and literally lose my life, which is what she did, which mm-hmm. is why, why we're so passionate 
about yeah. what we do. Well, I think what you just said is very important. Become a small version of me. I feel like that, like the traditional version of marriage in terms of like the 1940s, 1950s, 1960s is like the man is the man and the woman is the shadow of the man. Yeah. And you become, like you said, a smaller version yeah. of themselves to fit within the context of what they view that relationship should be or should have been. Mm -hmm. So at my fault, too, I did do that because he's such a big personality, big person, big man in his whole life, his kids, the whole situation. But I then I completely lost myself. So I guess to contribute to our issues is that's why I let it happen too. Didn't put my foot down earlier, but I, then I got the courage. And I, I'm so glad I did. What was the period of time that you were separated? Four or five Four or five or six months, somewhere right in there. Okay. And then biggest change that you realized in him during that time period that made you go like, okay, I think, I think we're ready to give this another shot. Or when you left, did you even think that I was ever possible? To come back? Yeah. No. Okay. No, no, no. It was like, this is done. It was for good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it felt you... extremely final. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And when I started like realizing the grass isn't always greener or like, you know, and he started becoming the person that I wanted him to become, I was like, oh man, like I said, it, I was angry, but I was like, can we get back together? So I started thinking about that and I'm like, no, he's, he's moved on. So it kind of like switched a little bit. I was like, no, he's doing good. That was uh, intentional. I know. Until we started talking again as friends. And he's like, let's just go on a date. And, you know, and he started talking about other women and stuff. And I was like, ah, okay. Like, yeah. So. How was the business during all this time? I was crying six hours a day. Okay. I have a team around me and I had a couple of best friends I was able to talk to. And we were able to, we did fine. Okay. But. Fine though. What's yeah, that? Fine. fine. No, like, not thriving at yeah, all. Yeah. Just like fine. To take a dip. It took a dip, but what's interesting is I learned the technical aspects of a lot of things that I would have never known about, like, what does true attract? How do you actually get attraction back? Not knowing, but I'll tell you, I had a moment. She was back for about six weeks. And uh, do you know Jesse Elder? Does that name ring a bell to you? Mm -hmm. oh. People who like run our circles will know this name and uh, he had come to our house and it was in that time and uh, I was laying upstairs and her foot touched my foot in bed and I just started bawling. We had, it was like six weeks. We hadn't had sex yet. I think there was still a box or two in her closet that wasn't unpacked. And I was like, I don't, I don't know, dude, if there's, a, if there's yeah. a back, if there's still a box packed, is this really happening? Like, so there was a lot. We had hired a couple of coaches to try and figure some shit out, and it was clunky. All that resentment. Everything was really clunky, it. dude. It was really hard to get back in it. Just that anxious, That's constant anxious feeling. Constant. Yeah. Or I'm like, what is he thinking? Or like, am I mad? Do I talk to him? Do I, like, I, I didn't want to touch him. Like, you know, I still had feelings for the other guy, but I knew like this was the right thing to do and be together and we can do it. But I was, it was so like, that's when the real work really started with us because we had to let all that go, all that tension. And so I guess my foot touched his and he started crying. But I remember, I remember him crying. Her, her, for her foot touches me and I just start bawling my eyes yeah. out. And at that moment, and this is going to sound crazy and I don't, it is what it is. It's what happened to me. If you think it's crazy, go fuck yourself. This is what happened. I like, I don't hear an audible voice. But I feel in my heart from my creator, he goes, I'm going to use you to help millions of men fix this same problem. And my initial reaction was like, you got the wrong fucking dude. Yeah, I don't even like, know what I'm doing. I'm like so, that. there's nothing here. I'm at the bottom of the pit. Yeah. Like, there's not a, 
what do you mean? I can, how about we fix it in mine first? Like <laughs> yeah. that was the, like, she doesn't even want to have sex with me. Her foot touches me and I bawl because I'm like, I'm in the deepest, darkest. This was even worse. Like I got over her, so to speak. And now she's back and now I'm not over her. And, but yet I'm not in her. Yeah. And her foot touches me and I'm right next to her, but she still feels a thousand miles away. Yeah. And I'm going to help millions of men. This is a cruel joke. And that's what I thought. Yeah. So, so to see where we've come, we haven't helped millions of men, but we've helped hundreds and thousands have heard our message. It almost seemed like there's no way that could even possibly happen. Sure. And I think that's what even made me cry harder. I'm just like, this is what a cruel joke this whole fucking thing is, dude. Mm. And I'm doubting. I'm like, why did I get her back? I could have been like, what the? Yeah. Oh my gosh, she doesn't even want me. Like, what are we doing? Why mm-hmm. the? What the? I yeah. mean, frustration. No kidding. Such an uneasy. And you felt it too. Feeling. Well, so, I think that you described it perfectly. Is like she's right next to me, but we're a million miles away. It's yeah. Like that, that I think that feeling can re- like resonate with a lot of people out there if you've been married for any length of time. Yeah. Yeah. Been a time in your marriage where it felt like it felt like that. Just like who? Who is this? What are we doing here? Yeah. Like we're laying in the same bed, but. Neither one of us want to be here, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what, what did you do from there? Well, everything I, great the next morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Um, like we said, we got, we started doing this like online program. We would sit in bed like, he's like, okay, do you want to do it? Answer these questions together. I was like, uh. so like literally making ourselves invest in this relationship. So it's all the things we didn't want to do at the time. Um, and we're like, okay, we have to go on dates and we have to hang out and the family thing. And, you know, and just literally just constantly keep doing that until we started like, oh, it's fun. And we started hanging out and having sex here and there. And it started letting all that resentment go. And I literally had to make a separate name for him to get over the old relationship that we had. So that that's Trevor. Fuck Trevor. I hate Trevor. It's really, really close down. to Travis. So Very co- yeah, more I know. comfortable. Dude, <laughs> actually, yeah. We were at a mastermind. We at uh, the real business owners mastermind to come speak. Oh yeah. This was Trevor and Kim. Yeah. Yeah. So literally we have something now called the Trevor Test.com to find out how big of a Trevor you are. And so he's in the audience and we're talking about, dude, fuck Trevor. Trevor's the worst. And even now, if she goes, Man, that's so Trevor, I just go, you know what? I probably crossed a boundary. Because uh, I would never want to be that guy. That guy, and just to be really clear, when people go like, well, how bad were you? Did you cheat on her? No. Did you beat on her? No. Well, what the fuck's the problem? You weren't even there. When you don't invest in somebody or act as if they're important at all, they become trapped. Like she was in a prison of this guy doesn't even like me. This guy doesn't pay any attention to me. I don't even want to be this guy's wife, but I, I don't want to go through a divorce. I mean, you know, I don't want to do that shit. And yet here I was absolutely clueless as the day is long. So- Thinking your shit don't stink. Thinking my shit don't stink. Yeah. I'm doing great. Like, uh, Life's great. I give Financial's her the best great. life. She's fine. Yeah. 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 Hey, aren't you happy? Yeah. Yeah. You should be grateful. Aren't you happy? Yes, that's but listen, his mentality too was like that. But living that way, but I'm like, I want you to engage in me. I want you to initiate. I want you to have sex with me. Why aren't you fun anymore? And not knowing, because you're an idiot. Like you're a total idiot. I don't want to be around you. So dude, the, the light bulb went on and I realized, okay, so what we did from there is we started working on each other started working on ourselves individually and we started going on dates. We started, I'm, and at that point I realized, you got to understand, I had realized some areas I'd messed up. Dude, I became great to my daughter. I'm like, I'm going to take her. I'm going to take her on dates. I'm going to be with her. And I'm going to like, so we started to invest back into each other 
we started making deposits into each other so that when we did want to make a withdrawal, there was actually something to withdraw. And now we have our five dial system that's like, be a good parent, be a good partner, be a good producer, be a good player within your marriage and stand in your power. And that equals a provocateur. But we didn't have any of that back then, dude. We were barely hanging on, just trying to take this little crumb of whatever and build on it. Dude, it was rough. It was so rough now. Like it was when so I think rough. back, I'm like, God, how do we how did we do that? How do you I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this and I think this would be really relevant for people listening to this because it's kind of the more entrepreneurial crowd and you know, in, in entrepreneurship when you're when you're getting things off the ground, it takes so much time. You know, and you're you're constantly worried about, you know, this problem, this employee, this deal that's on the table. You're stressed, you're anxious, you're trying to make things happen, you're building something from scratch. And then if you have kids, that's another thing that takes up a ton of time and attention. And if you have a marriage, it's another thing that takes up a ton, a ton of time and attention. And then you don't want your health to slip. So you're just trying to stay in the gym. You're trying to drink water, eat healthy and stay away from bad food and all this other stuff. And then, and then you have the business and it's like, my goodness, like how do I give all of these things the attention that they need in order to grow? How do you view having the, balance isn't the right word, I guess the ability to, to perceive which things need your attention and when? Here's the thing is, we've kind of started to realize who our guy is that we attract now. And a lot of the guys that we attract the message is, hey, I've kind of figured out how to get paid, but I have forgot how to get laid within my marriage. If I was to say kind of what's the easiest way to like, what's the filter? Well, if a guy has figured out how to get paid, there's some skills and disciplines you got to learn to be like, say, I know how to get paid, like paid in a real way. There's a lot of books, a lot of courses, a lot of stuff to show you kind of how to do that. How to get laid within your marriage and keep it hot and to where you even say now, like, we think honeymoon sex is for minor leaguers. Like, we just posted on Saturday night, our, I say it's the top sexual experience I've ever had with this lady and that I've ever had with any lady was this this last Saturday night. So we keep going. You were a little drunk, so it probably wasn't your favorite, but it was, it was definitely my favorite. Right. And I like to cut loose. Yeah, you like. I mean, dude, you, you how could you not love it? But, um, but with that being said, it's like we're posting like top ten charts. Uh, we're, we're we're updating the top ten. I'll be like, that was definitely top five. Like you know, but, but la- that Saturday night was like, this is top one. There's not a lot of talk on how to do that. So the guy that kind of already knows how to get paid, but he's like, dude, I've got everything, but why can't I get her to actually want me like it was in the beginning? That was the science we had to really perfect. And that was, so where do you allocate your time? Well, nobody likes to feel like third, fourth, fifth on the list. But a woman also doesn't want to be number one on the list either. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, she doesn't. She, uh, she, I don't like she, him up. I asked him. She doesn't <laughs> want my mission to be her because that's, that's not a mission. Mm-hmm. A guy driven to become something greater than himself, she wants to support him and be excited to be on that train with mm-hmm. him. But she wants him to turn and be like, I'm so glad you're on this journey. Let's do it together. Tell me about you and actually be interested and feel like she's creating something with you. Right. That's the key and that's the distinction a lot of guys don't understand. And so coming up with those five dials, it is to put that shit into perspective. And so now what we've coached hundred, like we make a, we make a very bold statement at the very beginning to any guy that comes into marygame.com and is this. If you do the work and this doesn't work, I don't want your money. Like literally, I will refund it to you if this doesn't work. 200 guys have come through the program, zero refund request. Why? Because if you actually do this work, it can't not not work. 
I don't even know how many negatives that was, but it can't <laughs> not, not, not work, whatever it is. It has to work. So the dials are pretty simple in the sense of she's judging me. Are you a good parent? Well, there's a reason for that because women will always love their kids more than their husbands. The reason I know this is because women divorce husbands. They don't divorce their kids. Like, it's just obvious. Yeah. Like, well, well that's, that's true. Right, right. So if I'm showing up as a shit parent, which I was, literally she goes, I don't even want to have another kid with you. I don't even want to leave our kid with you to go on girls' I night. I didn't ever leave her again. Yeah. It, it, so she's getting up every night. Like I showed no interest. That was like your job. I'm, I'm going to kill Buffalo. You raise the baby. And I understand how that, that's, that's a thing, but you can't always kill Buffalo all the time and not even come around. Always and only. Yeah. yeah. You get one thing. You got to like, Hey, you're a dad too, dickhead. And we, I'm not patting you on the back because you watched her one night. Yeah. You're called a dad. You're not a babysitter. Most guys really forget this. Mm-hmm. And so, because they, they do think, hey, I'm protecting, I'm providing, I'm producing for the family. Mm-hmm. Where's my sex? Yeah. And they're like, uh, do you even care about your kid? Not really. Not until they get old and they're fun. Yeah. Well, that's not investing. So that's one of the dials. The other dial was the partnering dial. And so we score ourselves every single day on these dials so that we're always putting something in the bucket every day. And so every day, I, for me to get my parenting dial, to get that point, I have to spend 30 minutes alone with my daughter. Whether it's I'm watching her gymnastics, I'm driving her home, I'm spending one-on-one time with her. And that's just my arbitrary number I said. I'm like, if I can't put 30 minutes into my daughter every day, what kind of dad am I? The next dial is the, uh, the partnering dial, and that's like the best friend dial. She felt so alone in our marriage. Because I wouldn't spend any time with her. Well, who wouldn't feel that way? Bro, if you and I are best friends and you never spend time with me, we're not best friends. You know what I mean? So it's like she, women will judge that and go, what? she goes, I feel alone. And most guys are doing this, and, and you'll relate to this. They're like sitting like almost mentally clocking down. Okay, if I put 17 minutes in the conversation and just listening, I might get lucky that night. Yeah. The view of a man and how to get his woman actually attractive. And that's what I actually realized was it was, she was totally, it's loss of attraction. She's like, I'm just no longer attracted. And attracted doesn't mean I've got big biceps, even though I do. It's this, I'm not leaning into it. You, I'm not being pulled in. I'm being pushed away. I'm being repelled. Like, and you see what happens. Women, they start to roll their eyes. Like, oh my God, this guy is such like, a douche. We know when you're only doing something just to have sex. You're just doing it for get like, I'll listen to have sex. I'll do the dishes for sex. It's like, that's gross. Yeah, it's transactional. But it's take her energy. And listen, like you and I have never had the honor or privilege of walking around looking like this. Have, do you have women coming up to you every single day and going, I just had to stop and say hello and get your phone number? <laughs> uh, not every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've had it happen to me twice yeah, in no, my it, life. It never, it, yeah, it's not a thing. In fact, camp. Okay. Twice in my life, I'm walking bareback in Newport Beach, and a girl goes, and my body was really on point. She goes, damn, that is a great body. That's when we met. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then two days later, I had another girl come up to me in a, uh, in a bar uh, during the day, and she's like, dude, your body's phenomenal. I'm like, I bet you probably want to do things to it. She goes, I do. So that's happened to me twice in my life. That's happened to her twice a day, her entire life. So the the Give re- or take. yeah the reality probably more like ten times, but the reality of the what we're working with here is t- radically different. And so I realized that attraction was where it was at. She's no longer attracted to me. That's why she was leaving. And they're judging on how attraction. I had to also get real clear. This was my fault. 
which a lot of guys are like, oh, that's beta. No, no, no. It takes a true man to realize, I fuck this up. Which, if I'm the problem, which is a great thing, it means I'm also the solution. So what can I do? This is why we came up with the dials. So I realized that, dude, she wants to feel like my best friend. And when we really connect outside the bedroom, that's where we lead to connection inside the bedroom. I'm going to have sex up here. Yeah. Their brain is their most, like, that's that's their mm-hmm. biggest sexual organ. That's their most powerful sexual organ is their brain. That led us to the next dial, which was the producer dial, which most guys are great at. We're good at killing buffalo. We bring home meat, feed the family. We bring home pelts, keep them warm. What else do you want? You want me to talk to you? Fuck you. I'm not <laughs> talking to you. I got more buffalo to go kill. So guys are good yeah. at that, but what we have is we become workaholics. And we go, I'm doing this for you. And she's like, no, you're not. You're doing it for your fucking ego, and yeah, I get you. the scraps. Go fuck yourself. I'm not going to be a part of it. That's why she's like, I'm lost in you. You're a big personality. And I. this is a very independent, knows who she is woman, and she lost herself. And, and for her, she's like, I resent myself for losing myself. Mm-hmm. And also, the business was going pretty well in the, in the sense where I kind of lost my drive and ambition. I'm popping Chipotle burritos oh. like they're Tic Tacs. He got so fat. I got <laughs> fat. I got fat. And she's like, where's your drive and ambition? When I met you, dude, you were going to take over the world. Mm-hmm. Now you've taken over a very small sliver of it and you think you're good? Mm-hmm. You're delusional, dude. Got complacent, comfortable. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that's actually the, the guys, what happens is because they protect and produce and provide, what happens is they actually become entitled. If I'm doing that, I should be getting sex. That's what most guys say. Yep. I'm doing all this. Where's my sex? Mm-hmm. As if sex is the payment for being a great man, which is not. So what happens is they become entitled, and entitled people become apathetic. When you become apathetic, that's what starts to chip away at the attraction. It's this downward spiral, and it slide, and I become apathetic. I'm like, you should. I, I can get any woman you want. Cool. Let them have you. Mm-hmm. I don't want you anymore. The producer dial can get out of whack really fast, which leads us into the fourth dial, which is what every guy messes up. And we call that the player dial, where you're still having fun in your relationship. You're truly going on dates. And we like to quote the greatest American poet. Girls just want to have fun. Cindy Lauper. <laughs> Girls just want to have fun. Mm-hmm. And this is why I like to have fun. Yeah. And this I is do. why date nights and being playful and being flirty and having a good time. And it's hard to flirt with somebody who doesn't like you. So if you have you don't like or you don't like, right? But the first three are like, you should be a good dad. Every guy would be like, I'm a good dad, even though most aren't. I'm a good uh, partner, even though most aren't. I'm a good producer, which a lot of guys are. But it's the last two dials, the player dial, where we're actually having fun going on dates. Like, dude, we have sex in the back of the car and home from date night now. Like, why? Because we actually are dating each other. Mm-hmm. Like, we go on dates. We go do the do things so. that you would have done when you were 17 or whatever, yeah. or 18. Do things that you did when you first were trying to get laid. Yep. We always use the litmus test, like, hey, what if the hot girl from high school that you always wanted to bang shows up in your DMs and you're single, and she goes, hey, let's go on a date. What, what are you going to do? What would yeah. that be? Well, then why don't you do that with your wife anymore? Mm-hmm. What's interesting is when people get divorced, they become the best version of themselves. And if they would have done that before they got divorced, they would have a really happy marriage. And then the last one became the power dial. And that is like, and this is where guys really mess this up and they are looking for validation from their wife. And so that's why they will do the dishes or take out the trash and be like, did you see what I did? Mommy, 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 did you see what I did? Can I have sex now? And we call that falling into the mom matrix. And dude, we hear it from husbands all the time. They're like, yeah, you know, I got three kids. My wife says she has four. Mm-hmm. 
Like, it's funny. It's like funny. Like, dude, that's an but indictment. No one wants to fuck their son. Yeah, exactly. That's gross. Yeah. I'm sure there's one lady out there that does. <laughs> uh, anyhow, just fact-checked you. No, I'm just kidding. But that was the thing. Is she's like, there was a time when you asked me, uh, did you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I don't know if you remember this. And I'm like, thinking she's Nostradamus. How did you know? She's like, because there's a glob of peanut butter and a fucking smudge of jelly on the counter, you kid. I was like, oh, my God. Like, dude. who do you think's cleaning that up? You think some fairy just— leave it there? This is the fairy that comes and cleans everything up. This is— and so she's just like, I'm your mom. And it's horrible. So men don't stand in their power. They edit or audit their shine. Meaning they don't actually, like, Jesse and I believe very different things. On very, I tell you, I meet with my creator every Sunday night for three hours on gummies. Right here sitting in this, on this couch in that corner. She's like, who are you talking to? I go, my creator. She goes, I don't even, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. But I don't like, oh, I can't talk about that around Jesse. No, I definitely believe in a creator. She's like, I'm not real sure. Yeah, you're your own person. Yeah, and but guess what? We don't ever argue about it. You know what she says? You're better because of you, what you do. Yeah. So congratulations. So keep doing it. Not exactly her who's giving you all these downloads, but you seem <laughs> to seem to think you're getting them, and they make you a better human being. But a lot of guys, because they're only getting a little bit of pussy, like they're getting a crumb, and the women's are like, I'm tired, I'm this, I'm that. They're not attracted. The last thing they want to do is hang out with this overweight dad bod guy, just just smelly. And she's like, oh, my God. Okay, I'll have sex with you. You've got three minutes. Hurry up. And then they get all resentful. They don't want to upset the apple cart because they get their monthly, like, three-minute session. And so their wife will say something, and they rather disagree and go, no, I don't agree with that. I agree with that. Like, Jesse and I are not afraid to share our opinion with each other. Mm-hmm. But it's why we appreciate each other. And so guys won't upset the apple cart. They don't want to say anything. And so their woman starts to respect them less and less and less because they're just hanging on for that three-minute crumb, a little, just a little bit of nookie. And they, if they say anything, they, it, they're, it's gone for a month. They're like, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, you're the biggest pussy ever. That's why you're not getting laid. And so these are the dials. We call it the provocateur. When you dial all these adept in, you become a provocateur. It's a man who provokes his woman to want him. Like, my wife and I, like, we love each other, but we want to be with each other intimately. We want to snuggle. We want to do these things. Not all the time. Sometimes we pet the sna- pet. We would call it pet petting the snake backwards. Sometimes we really get on each other's nerves. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to take her out with the trash every once in a while. She wants to throw me in the trash every once in a while. It, it happens. That's reality. But for the most part, we're like, hey, man, we're really into each other. That's how we call it married game is actually having game inside your marriage where your wife actually is like wants to send you a picture that's really naughty. She wants to release with you and be all in with you. But if you don't respect your man, free self. Yeah. It's just the total, it's the total opposite of what culture tells you is the, is the thing to do. Right. It's um, I think of all these romantic comedies anymore that are all about, you know, it's like a couple, it opens on a couple, and one of them's really complacent and just like eating cereal on the couch and, and boxers or whatever. And then she goes and leaves and she's painted as this bad person yeah. who like leaves this guy. And then this guy gets driven into this dark pit of despair and depression and then is worse off for a few months and then picks himself up and goes and starts doing things and being active and creating whatever, you know, and then she comes back and he's like, no, fuck you because you left me. And it's like, the whole narrative is about like, you know, just be okay with people being themselves or whatever. And it's like, 
No, motherfucker. Like she left you because you were sitting on your the couch in your boxers every damn day, eating three bowls of cereal, becoming fat, not producing anything. Like exactly. she should have left you. Yeah. But the whole romantic comedy thing is like now he goes and finds another girl who just appreciates him for who he right. is or whatever. And it's like bullshit, bullshit. That's not how life works. It might make all the average people feel good about themselves, but it's not it's not the reality. And that's what's being spoon fed into culture and big gobs of yes. multi-million dollar movie budgets because, because they know who they're marketing to. Movies. Exactly. They know I who they're marketing said to. The average because I don't want to be average. I want to be better. I want to be thriving. I don't want to just be treading water. That's who that's who these movie producers are marketing to. Yeah. They're not marketing to the fringe top 10% of culture. They're marketing to the bottom 90%. Exactly. And that that's what makes them feel good. Is like, I you know what? I am enough. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, Hollywood, for yeah. reaffirming that I'm good just the way that I am. And it's like, but you're probably not. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably the reason she you're left to begin with. Sleep. So on the business side, talk to me about like how, how you guys think about the business now. You obviously still do a lot of things and you obviously still are a top producer and you're still, those things still matter to you yeah. in that regard. So uh, how are you thinking about that in terms of your ability to you know, run successful businesses and then also be engaged as a husband. As well, a we only run one business now. I've given or sold everything else off. All we talk about is married game. Oh, really? Okay. That's it. We are on a mission from God to take this thing. Like I, we believe we're the modern, we are the voice of modern day relationships. Anybody's lack of belief in us is radically irrelevant to us. Our belief in ourselves is total, complete, and preposterous. And we're in it together. Yes, I run the business and I come up with the marketing and we do all the stuff. And, and you've seen the podcast here with Garrett and I, but Garrett and I have our episodes and Jess and I have an episodes. And then we have episodes with other couples. And then we have friends of the show on. And um, we're all in on it. But one thing we realize is if this isn't this, none of this exists. And so like, we just care about each other. And it's why we speak so freely about what we believe about marriage structure, what we believe about marriage certificates. I mean, we have, we don't care what anybody else believes because we just, we are not seeking advice from anybody. So how we run the business is we talk about it a lot. We come up with ideas. It's become more successful than any of the business I've had already, already. And we are literally scratching the surface. So we just are all in. Like, I, we, I don't think we've ever been all in on anything like this ever in our life, ever. Me neither with anything. Just yeah. all in. And, mm-hmm. and dude, like, we, so we still help guys get there. We've, we've walked 75 guys on getting their ex back. Or even if guys in married game that aren't getting sex, if it's a, if it's a doozy of a situation, I'm like, I'm, they're not getting the result I want them to get. What's going on? I bring in the, the mole, team girl, right? And, dude, she's like, mm, what about that? I and she can hear something. I go, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we do a lot of it together, which makes us feel radically together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really, connect. We're creating something together. It's way different. Mm-hmm. For somebody who didn't go a traditional route, schooling and all this, if anybody says we got to figure out the relationship issue, I don't want any of those. I want Jesse. I would ask Jesse a relationship question over anybody else on planet Earth. I think to go back to how I was raised, given my dad's status... I learned to read people quickly and they were trying to use me to get to him. I was around a lot of adults or celebrities, famous people, Hollywood, the whole thing. So I learned to see through people's bullshit. So we talk about how like we're made for each other because that was my life. And then the way his life, he was very entrepreneur-like. And I was always around 
like the concerts and people. And so it's kind of like our life now anyways. So yeah, I feel like I was made for this, but I learned to read people so clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You had to. I had to. Yeah. Yeah. So I heard you say recently, Keith, that you guys are monogamous plus. Mm-hmm. Walk me through what you mean by that. And these are, these are things that I think are super relevant culturally, because to your point, marriage is one of those things that needs a shakeup. It mm-hmm. needs a, you know, like what I was talking to, uh, to Garrett about being a man, like marriage is the same way. It's being attacked from all angles and, uh, and romanticized from all angles. And I don't think many people are getting it right. You know, the divorce rate is what, 60% in the country. And of the 40% that stick together, probably half of them should, should be divorced or at least getting a divorce because they sleep in different freaking bedrooms and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, you know, they stick together because they think that's the right thing to do, or they're too scared to leave not because they actually love each other and want to be together. So like, it's definitely one of those things that I look at and like, as an institution, it's broken and needs a facelift. It needs to be brought into modern, modern era. So I'm curious to hear, you know, what your guys' perspective is on. I said something when I went over and taught Garrett's 100K group yesterday. And I said, uh, I believe every great marriage is on the doorstep of divorce, ours included. And what I mean by that is if you got in an accident and the doc, so it's 60% nationwide, it's 80% here in Orange County. The divorce rate is 80% here in Orange County. So I was like, if you got in a car wreck and the doctor said, hey, he's got 80% chance he's not going to make it, that dude's on the doorstep of death. And I also am human enough to know that I could become one of those statistics. And I was in the past. So the reason why we live the way we live and breathe the way we breathe and do what we do is I wanted to get honest with the facts. The facts are we are a primal creature living in a modern world. And everybody wants to deny the facts. I'm a dude. Literally, if you're a hot chick, I want to stick my penis in you. I'm wired to want that. She's a woman. If she sees a a strong male that's providing and awesome and whatever, she's like, I want to have that guy's babies. Like it's literally our wiring. When you talk about the institution being broken, we live in a very interesting culture where nobody deals with real facts. Like everybody's plastic, they're fake, they they can't be honest with each other. So when we went through what we went through, and this is why I believe a lot of couples that go through what we the hardest things actually become the best couples because now everything's on the table. All right, no more bullshit. We can't lie about anything. Everything's out. Now what do we want to do? So we came to this about four years ago. We had a conversation like, you know, if if, uh, if given the opportunity, would you like a hall pass? And we both kind of looked at, I mean, we didn't use these exact words. We're, we're more articulate now because we've had these conversations. I'm boiling it down so that it's simple, not all the goobly garp we may have worked through. So if given the opportunity, would you want a hall pass? Would that be fun for you? And the answer is like, well, yeah, that'd be fun for me. Would it be fun for you? Yeah, it'd be fun for me. All right, cool. And is this so strong and amazing? Like that is just like, whatever. It's yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So this was when we came up with monogamy plus, it wasn't because we weren't having sex with each other. And we're like, well, we want to be together because we have a daughter that wants us together, but we don't really like having sex with each other. Why don't we just go have sex with other people? Cause that's a lot of context. People place that in. No, no, no. We are on fire. We were having and still are having amazing sex, but it's like kind of be fun to have some kind of fuck somebody every once in a while. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's the basis of it. Like that is literally it. And so we've lived this way for four years. I didn't want to come out and tell anybody we live this way because I don't want to answer to people's stupidity. Their insecurity. I just like, they project hey, on us. Yeah, we, we're not insecure about it. 
We like it. We think it's cool. The biggest analogy, and everybody watching this is going to disagree with this, and we we don't even, we don't argue with them. We don't care. Wherever this is going to go, it's going to get a lot of negative comments, but you'll see my comment every single time is, good luck to you. We're rooting for you. God bless you. I like to say that God bless you because it really fires them up. What's, What's that? that? Different strokes for different folks. Yeah. yeah. You know, hey, all different. hey, guess what? Get a better marriage than us, and then we'll come We'll come to your boot camp. Yep. You know what I mean? And we've had that. Because our fruit of this relationship is so wonderful, like like you just can't deny it, we like to just, uh, let's try some stuff. Let's figure stuff. I don't know. Let's, like, you're my best friend. I'm your best friend. We we are, we are like, we're in this till death. Like, but not really. We're in this, it, like, if she gains 400 pounds or I gain 400 pounds, you just killed the marriage. That's the death of marriage. Yeah, if either one of us breaches the agreements. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And so we just came up with what those were for us, and we've abided by those for four years, and we love our marriage. We, like, literally love it. So that's where it kind of all came to. That's kind of where it went. Happy to answer more questions. I don't know if I answered your exact question, but that's that's how it came about, and that's why we live it. It's helpful, man, because we don't have to get into any specifics. I just think that the conversation should be more normalized uh, because it is looked at as such like a, I can't believe, you know what I mean? It's like, but dude... I don't know how many people that I've asked that question to when we're not recording that do something very, very similar to that. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and the majority of them tend to be high performance type people, high performing mm. couples where both of them are yeah. doing big things or yeah. maybe more in that provocateur, you know, category yeah. of identity. I've been finding that more and more and more people are exploring those types of options, uh, which is why I wanted to ask about it because I, like that, I think the conversation should be more normalized and at least looked at as something that's like, oh, cool. Not yeah. as like a, yeah, you know, yeah. we'll never be friends with them. You know what I mean? Like for me, that I happens. love the fact that I am not put in a box from society telling me what to do. I think freely for myself and what works for us, whatever that may be. So I just love being my own free thinker. Yeah. And the other thing is, is like, I had to ask myself, well, where did I get the idea of marriage? Exactly. Government to charge fees and to control people and religion, which I don't agree with. Like those are either. two institutions. If you're just, let's call them institutions, government and the church. Those might be the two institutions I despise more than any institution. Yeah, I trust <laughs> them the least and I could care less about what they teach. So I'm like- We literally never put Jovi in public schooling. We would never ever. put her in public schooling. We like So I'm like, why would we live a life like that? Yeah. Oh, and by the way- most marriages aren't very happy. Exactly. That, that's the big thing for me, man. Yeah. It's like, if it was like, oh, 90% success rate, it's like, you guys you guys have something there. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I mean, if there's room for innovation, there's room for innovation, you know? So yeah. it's just, this the fact that people get upset about it, it's like, you Why? probably have bigger things to worry about. You, hey, buddy, you're not even getting laid and you're worried about me, the fact that I can have a hall pass? Okay. Yeah. A lot of it stems, I think, from insecurity. Exactly. Yeah. So we're really cheeky about it because we gen like, you know how people say they don't give a fuck about anything. We really don't. And so actually, I think that's why I'm so gracious with a lot of my comments. I'm like, oh, this this poor person's stuck in some little matrix loop, and that's cool. But like, people like, uh, I just got a text. uh, I got a the DMs are pretty interesting. They're almost always from guys. Uh, I only get the naked ones from ladies. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. The guys are like, hey, I was talking to a client and they said that they would cringe if they were to ever do that. How do you get people to believe this? And I said, I don't. I don't care if you believe it. 
Like I'm not on a, I'm not a missionary for this cause. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's different yeah. different folks. It's just like you don't have to also do it. Yeah, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's like it's like when people say whatever about homosexuals. It's like you don't have to be yeah. gay. Yeah, like it's yeah. okay. For We're you not trying to proselytize you. Right. Yeah. Like it's gonna be all right. Like you do you th- you do your thing. Whatever yeah. works for the two of you. Yeah, and then within the context of our relationship, we'll do what works for us. I don't yeah. understand why it's such a like uh, you know you're looked at as a pariah if you are willing yeah. to try something else out or to go right. a path that's not as traditional when, like we said, the traditional path isn't even something that's working. Yeah, well, and not only that, but it comes down to the core belief of results speak louder than anything. And so when you look at um, most relationships, their results aren't anything that I would want. And if you look at our society in whole, we are not held to a results-based standard. But to quote the good Lord, he said, you'll know a tree by their fruit. Cool, come inspect our fruit. Do you want this fruit? You might want to listen to us. You like your fruit? Oh, cool. We don't want your fruit. And so it, it really, like our society is not results-based. None of our government leaders are based on results. They are voted or somehow fake voted into power. I've never looked at a government official and go, dude, I can't wait to be that guy. I look at them and go, oh, dude, I would never want you on my team. I'm glad that you said you think it should be talked about more. I think so too, even though it's just like, it is what it is. Yeah. Thanks for asking guys, about uh, that. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, um, because we, we don't, don't talk, talk about it a lot. We don't, we don't hardly ever talk about our show. Yeah. I always tell the team, I said, listen, dude, I, because we've had interviews where like, is that the answer? Like, Monogamy plus is not the answer for you to fix your marriage. You need to fix your marriage, become the team and then, Discover if you want to go hiking. Mean, that's probably the worst thing you can do if your marriage is in shambles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It has to come out of a place of yeah. security in each other, the commitment that you have for one another, yeah. the relationship that you have. And then, I mean, that's the extension that's, of that, yeah. right? But the biggest reason we didn't want to talk about it is because I don't want to have to answer people's dumb questions. Because I don't give a shit about what they think. But Garrett was like, bro, if you share this, nobody has anything on you. And you can actually probably, you would become more powerful if you flaunted it in front of them. And it, it, based on the principle, uh, the most powerful man in the room is the one who has nothing to hide. We have literally nothing to hide. And so it creates real power and um, it's real. Like you can, if anybody that's around, we've had literally people hang out with us and they're like, I need married game because I, I'm around you. They can tell this. You can't fake this. You just, you can't fake six pack abs. You can't fake real attraction. You can't fake being a good parent if your kids are like uh, you know what I mean like there's just things you can't fake and that's what we always want to be is just open transparent and and real so, so I appreciate you diving into it yeah of course of course I I, I feel I feel like we got to get together for a part two sometime yeah with my wife because uh, it'd be yes. a lot of fun for especially for the other show that we have so but I appreciate you guys' time I do want to get things wrapped up and get you guys out to uh, the rest of your day so Keith, Jesse, thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to continuing the conversation on part two sometime. Thanks for having us on, man. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.